East Point Christian Church, where even our sleepwalkers are COVID compliant with the mask. That was very nice. Was, was that tinsel? I hadn't been introduced to him yet. Uh, well, here this morning, our letter from Jesus has been delivered by a sleepwalker who is um, also uh, apparently COVID compliant, which is good. And uh, let me make sure that we've got this set okay here, because it would be a shame if uh, I went over my time there, wouldn't it? So this morning we come to our letter from Jesus, and today's letter is to the church at Sardis. And let me just say to you that today's letter hits a little close to home as Americans. You might be thinking, well, last week's hit a little close to home. Yeah, this week's to me is probably the closest that we've had yet. There was a Chinese pastor who had been serving faithfully and enduring years of persecution from the Chinese government, but yet seeing rapid growth within the Chinese church. Eventually, he came to the United States as a refugee, and after a couple of months in being in the United States, he was asked what he thought of the American church. His response was piercing. He said, it's amazing how much you have been able to accomplish without God. Suppose if you're anything like me, there's a part of that quote, when you hear that, that you're slightly offended. But there's a bigger part of you that knows it's true. We have created a culture in the American church where we're always looking for the next program, the newest song, the latest fad, rather than crying out to God for his help and intervention like they did in the book of Acts. Sardis was a lot like Columbus and like America as a whole. I mean, if you would have showed up outside of Sardis, they might have had a sign up that said, the best place in the Roman Empire to raise a family. It was safe, it was stable, and it was secure. And that led to a very sleepy church. It was safe, meaning it was safe for Christians. They had one of the largest synagogues in the ancient Roman world there. So the Jewish people had been welcomed by the culture. And so when Christianity came as an extension of Judaism, essentially, they were tolerated as well. But while they were tolerated, what happened is that they became just like their culture. You see, churches that receive opposition are able to resist their culture. But churches who receive no opposition from their culture wind up becoming just like it. Not only were they safe, but they were stable. Sardis was a very wealthy place. We're a very wealthy place compared to the rest of the world as well. But they were actually in decline, even though they still had plenty of wealth. They were living off of yesterday, in essence, as opposed to living for today. And as they had that stability that comes through economic security, 
they had become quite materialistic. Sound familiar? And in addition to safe and stable, they also felt a strong sense of security. You see, Sardis was a city on a hill, really a mountain. They were up, perched 1,500 feet above the valley floor, and they were surrounded on by three sides by rocky cliffs that were thought to be unscalable. The only side of the city that was vulnerable was the south side. And they'd gotten so comfortable that in two different points in the city's history, they had been attacked in the strangest of ways. You see, Sardis felt so secure being perched up there on the mountain that what the enemy did was they just sent a person to scale the mountainside. And when they approached the city, they found it completely without defense because they all were sleeping. And one of the attacks, the attacker literally climbed the walls, went inside to the city, and opened the gates from the inside without anyone even noticing he was there. They were safe, they were stable, and they were secure, but that security made them vulnerable. Church, I want to tell you that God calls the church a city on a hill as well. But God didn't put us on a hill so we could be safe. He put us on a hill so we could shine. And that means that we can't be just like our culture, and we certainly can't be asleep. Well, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Knowing what we know about Sardis, let's read this letter from Jesus, the fifth of seven letters that we see in the book of Revelation. Verse 1 says, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The seven stars, of course, being the seven uh, churches there, uh, excuse me, the seven messengers, the seven angels, the churches. says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive. Suppose that's good, isn't it? And then the next line it says, But you are dead. Ouch. What's interesting is that unlike the last couple of letters, Jesus doesn't go on to describe any specific area of sinfulness. He doesn't go on to describe, like the last two letters, any different people who were stirring up trouble in the church. Everything seemed to be very comfortable. So comfortable that you could probably even fall asleep. And so Jesus says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Church, I feel that the church in America is in a similar place where we have been comfortable for so long. What if 2020, as awful as it's been, might be one of the greatest blessings to the church. What if 2020 and all the awfulness that has gone on is God's way of waking up a sleeping giant? Rather than pandering to the comfort of our culture 
and to the political favor that we've enjoyed in our country for centuries as Christians. What if this is God's call to wake us up? And it takes a little opposition to get us there. Well, here are Jesus' commands to this sleeping church. In verse 2, he says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished or incomplete in the sight of my God. There we see the sin of Sardis, that their deeds went unfinished. They weren't starting what they had finished. Paul gives us a great promise in the book of Philippians that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We know that God is faithful to finish what he started in us. The question is, are we faithful? Are we faithful to keep going and to finish what God started in us? Maybe you had that moment where you need to wake up. Jesus gives these five imperatives. Two of them he's already given us. It's like he's yelling at a teenager to rouse them out of bed the morning of their ACT or SAT exam so they won't be late. It's like what some of you probably had to do this morning to get your kids out of bed so that you made it to church by the end of the first song anyway, right? We all know that feeling. How do you wake up a teenager when dynamite is illegal? And so here are these five imperatives that Jesus shouts. And so as I say them, I'm going to ask that you respond by yelling them back at me. This is the one time you have permission to yell at your preacher. I'd take advantage of it. So look back at verse 2. It starts off and it says, wake up! This is literally not just wake up like a one-time thing, but the way that it is and the tense that it is is meant to convey the idea, be alert. Just as Sardis had fallen asleep and had lost its sense of need to guard the city, and it was attacked literally from within, in the same way, Jesus is saying to the church, be alert. First Peter uses this to talk about be alert. Don't you know that the devil roams around like a lion looking to attack? Be alert. It does kind of strike me as odd because we are called to be a restful people. We are called to be a people who rest, but we are called to rest in God. And as we rest in the Lord, we are truly awake to the, and alert to what's going on outside of us and the threats that are around us. When we truly find our rest in the Lord, that's what happens. And the only answer that we can come up with as we read this letter to reconcile that difference is that we're finding our comfort outside of God. It wasn't that Sardis was sleeping to everything. It's that they were sleeping towards God. They were so distracted doing, doing, doing. In the same way, God's cleared our schedules in 2020. And what have we filled it with? Have we filled it with more time of devotion to the Lord? 
or have we tended to fill it with new shows on different networks and different mediums of delivery on our tablets, on our phones? Have we chosen to use it seeking the Lord, or have we been seeking the answers from our favorite political commentators, the message that we want to hear within our own little silos? Wake up, is the message from Jesus. The second command that he screams to the sleeping church is strengthen. The church was like a double amputee who only had their arms left. And yet Jesus looked at everything else that had died in them and said, you're letting your upper body go too? That's what you have left. Maybe you've seen a tree after the storm that's lost several branches. Those branches are cut back, but the tree has to regain its strength again to grow. Jesus says to us as the American church, strengthen what you have left. You'd better act now before you lose your strength here too. Verse 3, Jesus gives the final three commands. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. That first command we see in this verse, the third overall, remember. Remember. Remembering is not merely a cognitive activity. But remembering in the Bible is looking back to the steps of faith that you took and how God proved himself faithful. Maybe you look back at your faith and you see the steps of faith that you took as a young person that helped set the course of your life. You look back when you first accepted Christ and how things started to change in your life. You look back to how you overcame that addiction, that habit. You look back to how you strengthened your marriage when it was falling apart. What you have to recognize is that those steps of faith aren't merely meant for the rearview mirror, but those steps of faith are meant for our windshield too. They're meant to be ahead of us. And as we remember, it's not just looking back, but it's also calling us to look forward and to say, if you took that step of faith then, shouldn't you be able to take bigger steps of faith now? Steps of faith aren't merely for young people, are they? Steps of faith aren't meant merely for when we're in high school and college and when we're setting the course for our lives. Steps of faith are meant to continue throughout all of our lives. When was the last time you took a step of faith? Are you walking forward in faith each day? Is your faith getting stronger or is your faith just living off the remnants of the story's past? What about the story that's in the windshield? What about the story that rests ahead of you? The fourth command that Jesus gives is hold on. Hold on. Jesus is saying, remember and hold on. Remember what you have received and heard. Hold it fast. Don't let go. Whenever I was preparing this sermon, I got to admit I had 38 specials stuck in my head and hold on loosely came to mind. I wonder how many of us are holding on loosely to our faith. 
The reality is Jesus is calling us to hold fast, to hold strong, to not let our grip weaken. Like those characters we see on American Ninja Warrior swinging through the course, and you can see their grip start to loosen, and you know they're about to fall. How's your grip? And finally, the last command he gives us is, repent. It's the first time I've ever heard a church scream at me to repent. And when we look at this idea of repenting, repenting as we look back, as we remember, as we hold on, it's the, co- it's, it's the collection of all these things that we've looked at this morning. It's this idea that in order to repent, it's, it's, it's not just about feeling bad, but it's about recentering your life around what's ahead of you and God, about where God's calling you to. It's, it's a recentering of your mind. It's a recentering of your actions. If you feel bad when you repent, but your life doesn't change, well, that's not really biblical repentance. God doesn't want you to repent so you feel bad. He wants you to repent so that you change and become more like him, and then the joy comes. As I was reading through my notes last night, I said, something's missing here. What's missing? And I realized I had copied and pasted a section of Scripture and missed it in here on the notes. It's not on the slide, but it's, it's probably one of the most important verses here. And here's what Jesus says in this verse. You won't see on the screen, so you'll have to hear it from me. It says, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Jesus isn't speaking of the second coming here, the return of Christ. He's speaking of judgment. He's speaking of the consequences of sin. That's what judgment is. It's it's the consequences of sin. He's saying, I'm not just going to let you be there as a sleeping church. I'm not going to let you just sleep all day. I will come and I won't tell you when I'm coming. As I read that, I started to think about a book that I received in the mail this week from a man I know, Mike Nichols, a friend of mine uh, who actually pastors the first church that I ever pastored, uh, and it's called Short Life. Uh, and it's not out yet, it's an advanced copy, but uh, he goes through these stories, and it's a devotional uh, of, of different things in our lives that, that how, how, how quick our lives can pass, with the exception of 2020, of course, which has taken forever. But what really struck my attention is inside the front cover, and he writes it in memory of, and there's about 10 names listed. But for all the names he listed, he also listed the age the person was when they died. It's 9 years, 17, 26, 32, 43, 58, 61, 72, 81, 99. And what really hit me is, since we have a common circle of friends I knew about half the people on the list. I'd been to a couple of their funerals. And I'd heard their stories of faith and how in the midst of the crisis that they faced that ultimately took their lives early, their faith grew. I realized that crises and wake-up calls aren't all that bad. They can be quite good for us. If the Lord's trying to wake you up, it's not a bad thing. If you're going through a period of hardship, That's okay. It'll all be made right at the resurrection. Even if you don't see it in this lifetime. But the question is, is will you respond to it by waking up? 
Will you respond by living an awakened life? Tony Campalo, when he was in grad school, he took a course in Chinese philosophy. And one day, the Buddhist monk who was the instructor said to him, he said, as a Christian, you teach your children to pray all wrong. You teach them to pray, if I should die before I wake, it would be better to teach them to pray if I should wake before I die. How many of us have gone through life without ever really waking up? How many of our neighbors and our friends are sleepwalking without ever experiencing life to the fullest? So I ask you these three questions this morning. First, are you awake to the sun? Are you awake to the sun? Are you awake to what He has done in our lives to save us from sin? And, and maybe I should also say this, because um, a lot of us, we have this Christian history where, yeah, we, we were saved and, and we've grown to a certain point, but we've grown asleep again. Maybe, maybe for you, you need to hear, are you awake to the Spirit? Are you awake to the Holy Spirit's work in your life? That, that He's putting people in front of you each day to bless, that you can be a, an impact on, that you can bring hope to. And in order to help us as, as we navigate this, these next steps forward as a church, um, I've called a fast, um, October 27th through 29th. And we're going to give you more details on what that looks like next week. Not all of you cannot eat for three days, and we understand that. In fact, some of you would be a really bad idea if you didn't eat for three days because of health concerns and everything else. But there are other ways that we can fast, that we can let go of some of the distractions in our lives to focus more on Christ. And we're doing this because we really want to hear what God is speaking to East Point as a church. We don't just want to study these letters so that we can have a good history lesson. We want to study this so we can hear what God's saying to us. I had originally scheduled this fast for this week, but then I realized that the first day coming off the fast would be the chili cook-off. And I, I didn't think that'd be a very good idea. So, so the Lord, in His graciousness, helped me to see that so that I could reschedule that. Because I don't think any of us would want to be around each other after a three-day fast eating chili. It's not a good way to awaken your stomach, is it? We'll share more information on, on this with you next week. But I wanted you to go ahead and have that so you can... Mark it on your calendar so that you can start to think and pray with your family about what a fast looks like for you and for your loved ones around you. Second, are you awake to the devastating effects of sin? Have you bought back into the lie that sin's really not all that bad, that it's really not affecting all the areas of your life? Is there a place where you've been vulnerable, just like the city of Sardis was vulnerable to that attack when, when, when the enemy scaled the cliffs? Is there an area of your life that's vulnerable right now? Because that vulnerability will affect your witness, but it will also affect you deeply. It'll affect how you're walking with Christ. It'll affect how awake you are. Because sin will lull you to sleep. And third, are you awake to God's desire to stretch you? Are you awake to His desire that God doesn't just want to comfort you we, we read in, in scriptures that God is a God of comfort, but he comforts us after he stretches us, not before. 
We have made comfort into an idol in our culture where all we want is to be comfortable, have enough money in our retirement, have an easy enough job, have a nice enough home, nice enough car. And all those things, they can work against us. Where is it that God wants to stretch us and to make us really uncomfortable? And that'd be the best thing. You know, my wife is a physical therapist. We call the PT part of it pain and torture. And part of what she has to do is to stretch people and stretch them further the next day and further the next day and further the next day. Some of you are grimacing in pain. I can tell you've been to a physical therapist before. But we need that in our faith as well. How am I doing here? I think I'm all right. says in verse 4, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. Sardis was known be, uh, as uh, they had, they bragged on the fact that they were the first to come up with dyed wool. And yet, those people had taken such pride in their clothing had gotten lazy and had allowed their clothes to be soiled. But, but they're saying here to Sardis, this is the church, Jesus is saying that there's a few people who haven't. They will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. It's interesting, because in our American church culture, if, if we know somebody that's going to a dying church, one of the first things we say is, well, you need to get out of there. Jesus isn't telling the people in the dying church to get out of there. He's saying, stay faithful. He's saying, hang in there. And we should encourage those who are in dying churches in a similar way. Stay faithful. Don't just jump around. In verse 5, Jesus says, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and His angels. Calvin Ratz has said, I suspect that Satan has called off his attempt to convert people from agnosticism. After all, if a person travels far enough away from Christianity, he or she is always in danger of seeing it in perspective and deciding that it is true. It is much safer, however, from Satan's point of view, to vac vaccinate a person with a mild case of Christianity so as to protect him from the real disease. I wonder, do you have a mild case of Christianity? Have you been so prone to worship comfort that you have forgotten that God wants to stretch us to greater things, to become greater people. Jesus concludes this letter by saying, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is it that we should hear from Jesus this morning, those of us who have ears to hear? I don't know. But I suspect it sounds something like this.